Welcome to this episode of Planting Seeds. I'm Keith Jones, the preaching minister of the Calera Church of Christ, and I've prepared a short message from Scripture that's intended to be the planting of a seed that, if cultivated, will in time produce fruit in the lives of the listeners. Now, let's get started. And be gracious and give you peace. In this episode, we'll conclude our study of the book of Ruth by looking at Ruth chapter 4. If you have a Bible, follow along while I read beginning in verse 1. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, Turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, Buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is one beside you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, one drew off his sandal and gave it to another, and this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, your witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilion and Malon. Also, Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native people. Your witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elder said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. The women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a Redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, 
the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Amenadab. Amenadab fathered Nashan. Nashan fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. As we conclude this study of Ruth, we get more insight into ancient practices within the nation of Israel. In the previous chapter, Boaz had told Ruth that there was a process that they would have to go to because there was someone else who was the rightful redeemer if he chose to do so. But Boaz said, if he will not, I will redeem you. So we see this playing out in this chapter. Boaz goes to the city gate. He waits on the rightful redeemer to come in. When he comes by, Boaz has him stop and wait until he can get 10 of the elders of the city together to be witnesses to what is about to happen. Then Boaz lets his kinsmen know that you are the rightful redeemer and you can buy the property that Naomi has. He says, I'll do it. But then Boaz says, but when you buy the property, you also buy Ruth and she will be a wife to you. And the guy says, well, in that case, I can't do it. And I'm not sure exactly why, but somehow this would interfere with the inheritance that he had and what he had to leave his family Uh, by taking on another wife and having other children would mess that up in some way, in a way that he didn't want it to. So he told Boaz, why don't you redeem the property and take Ruth to be your wife? And so he does. And when Boaz takes her as a wife, they have a child. The child's name is Obed. Obed is the father of Jesse, who is the father of David. And so we see here that Boaz and Ruth are the great-grandparents of King David. This also means that they're direct ancestors of Jesus himself. Now, as we look to learn the lessons from this chapter that we can apply to ourselves, things that uh, we can know about God and redemption and what God wants of us, I think that one of the best things we can do is continue to look at the character of Boaz. We noted some things in the last episode about what an upstanding person that Boaz is. Here we see a couple of things uh, about his character extending into this chapter. And one is the honor and respect that he has uh, for his elders. In most societies in the world, uh, the older folks of the society are held in great esteem. That seems to not be as much the case in the United States, maybe, as it has been in the past. And certainly, us older folks have a certain responsibility in that for not being worthy of the honor. But Boaz here understood the honor and respect that should be due to a life that had been well-lived for a long time and had been through things that maybe he hadn't been through yet, respecting their traditions, whether it was the tradition of this taking off the sandal or the redeemer role that he's going to play, the sitting in the city gate, the calling on the elders. There, There are a lot of things he could have just taken on himself that he didn't do. He had respect for their traditions, and he sought their wise counsel. I think it's worth noting here that this story, again, takes place in a time uh, when judges ruled Israel. And when you read the book of Judges, it said this was a time when the people of Israel did what they saw fit because they had no king. They did what was right in their own eyes. 
Boaz still is respecting those that are older than him and wiser than him, seeking their direction, their guidance, and their affirmation for what's going on. Also, we see here that Boaz is living a fully transparent life. Here is a guy who has made himself accountable. He goes to the city gate, he lets people know the circumstance, and he lets people know that he's willing to be the Redeemer if that is what's necessary, but he wants to do it the right way. And so he builds in accountability for himself. He doesn't go his own way, doesn't try to manipulate it so that he gets what he wants. He is willing to follow protocol and and be accountable for whatever falls on him. He's also one who is clearly communicating all that he wants everyone to know and and what needs to take place. There is nothing left out. Boaz makes sure that the Redeemer knows that he has access to this property, and it helps out Naomi, but it also comes at a cost of having Ruth as a wife. He clearly communicates this. He makes sure that all of the elders see clearly what's going on. He makes sure that he speaks clearly and openly about all that's going on so that there's absolutely no confusion about what the circumstances are, what the possible options are, and what he's willing to do to see a remedy. I think we would all benefit sometimes from more clearly communicating with one another, making sure that we take the time to think through what we want to say and say it clearly so that the people receiving it know exactly what we intend. We spend a lot of time in our day talking past one another, not actually communicating, but just bloviating. We need to make sure that we are a people like Boaz who take the time to be held accountable and clearly communicate. There are a couple of other themes in this chapter that I think are noteworthy, especially as they apply to lessons that we can learn in our time. And one here is how Boaz encourages his kinsmen to count the cost of redeeming the property and Ruth as a wife. And as Boaz does this, I think we can see ourselves in this unnamed kinsman, because very often we are eager to do things that have a very clear benefit for us. This kinsman was willing to buy the property when he thought that was all there was to it. As long as I can increase my land holdings, yeah, this is a good deal for me. So he was eager to do that. As Christians, I think when we come to Christ, there are certain things that he says that we hang on to dearly because they seem to convey very little effort or intention on our part, and we get tons of benefit in return. I think about passages like Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30. Jesus says, "'Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest.'" Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We love that. We'll sign up for that. Easy, light. We don't have a lot of responsibility, and Jesus is going to take care of us. We love that idea. John chapter 5, verse 24 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but passes out of death into life. We love verses like this because all we have to do is believe. And especially if we've reduced belief to just something that happens in our mind, 
If we just think the right thoughts about Jesus, he's going to let us live forever. That's an easy thing to do with a huge benefit, and we're eager to do that. We'll acknowledge him. As Romans chapter 10, verse 13 says, For whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. We love that idea of just saying out loud that Jesus is Lord is all we need to do. Everything else is taken care of. We have no responsibilities. That has clear benefit for us. We're eager to sign up for that. But then I think how Jesus interacted with people who wanted to follow him. He kept telling them how difficult it would be, that they needed to make sure they counted the cost because they might not want everything that comes with being a disciple of Jesus. And because of that, we're often unwilling to do the right thing because we're afraid that it'll cost us. Thomas Edison, the great inventor, once said, opportunity is missed by most people because it's dressed in overalls and looks like work. When we have to put in more effort than we want to, when we feel like the benefits aren't equal to what it costs us, we'll often miss out on opportunities. When God gives us an opportunity to put his word into action, to live out his will, we often will refuse to do so because we feel like it'll cost us too much. It was this way of thinking that Jesus addressed in Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 57, where Luke records, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. To another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. See, in each of these circumstances, the people who were wanting to follow Jesus, who seem to be open to the benefits of following Jesus, aren't willing to do exactly what he asked. They need to put him off. They need to do something else first. They need to take care of themselves and then give Jesus whatever's left. Remember, Jesus has called us to a full surrender. He has made us a new creation. He's cleaned us up. He's made us whole so that we can do his will, so that we can carry out his ministry in this world. So when we call on the name of the Lord, when we believe in Jesus, it means that we are willing to be the hands and feet of Jesus in this world, to carry out his ministry. And that will often come to us at a cost because it looks like work. In another place, in Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 26, Jesus says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and his wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he is laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. 
Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. See the level of commitment there that Jesus has asked for? Well, we get kind of bogged down in looking for the exceptions and the loopholes in there. Does he really mean we have to hate our family? The term there is a comparative one, and yes, it is in degrees, but it does mean that Jesus comes even above family. Jesus talks about the need for us to carry our own cross. And so if we're going to say that we're a disciple of Jesus, we've got to be willing to do that no matter what it takes. And that requires counting the cost. The same way that Boaz told his kinsmen, you need to decide if you really want this piece of property because it comes with Ruth. Jesus says you need to really decide if this eternal life thing is for you because it comes at a cost. There are sacrifices I expect you to make. There are things that I need you to do in my name because this is the way we perpetuate the kingdom of God in the earth. I even think about a simple passage like Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. There Paul writes, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Not if you think good thoughts about Jesus, you might have bad things happen every once in a while. If you are living a godly life, you will be persecuted. And I'm not talking about the minor inconveniences that come from the society that we live in, where we can't always do what we want when we want. I'm talking about actual persecution, like people in other countries of the world are experiencing right now, where they are killed because they actually believe in God and are living it out. If we want to be a disciple of Christ, we need to decide if we're willing to pay the price. Are we willing to always do the things that Jesus calls us to do? Because Jesus says, blessed is he who hears these words of mine and does them. If we're just going to listen to the words and expect all the benefit, but not willing to be his servant and live out his will, we may be frustrated with the outcome. But we certainly need to count that cost and realize that's part of our training our preparation for eternity with God. So we learn things from the character of Boaz. We see elements of counting the costs that are brought forward into the New Testament by Jesus and what it means to follow him. But there's also another phrase in here that is worthy of our attention. The translation I read from is the English Standard Version. In verse 13, it says, the Lord gave her conception. Another translation reads, the Lord enabled her to conceive. And I think about how the New Testament tells us that it is the Lord himself who enables us to do all manner of things. Certainly, we're all familiar with the saying from Scripture that I can do all things through him who gives me strength. But here are a few other passages for us to consider. Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 1, says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. 
And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This short paragraph enumerates several things that God has enabled in us because of faith. The grace that he pours out on us enables us to rejoice in suffering that produces endurance, that produces character, that produces hope. And all of those things are from God because he's enabled them in us because he's poured the spirit out in our lives. There's also John chapter three, verse 34, where Jesus says, for he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for he gives the spirit without measure. God has given us a spirit that enables us, that allows us to do the things we need to do. And he gives us that spirit without measure. And then there's Philippians chapter one, verse six, where Paul says, for I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. God has started something in us and God will bring that to fruition. God will enable us to experience all that he wants us to experience. But that's the key. God's spirit does enable us to do anything but it enables us to do anything that God wants us to do. Thank you for listening. You can find more of these messages on our website, calirachurchofchrist.org, or subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter.